Hello, welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us on the Truth Hurts show. Um, Chauncey Leopardi, aka Squints, and I got my co-host Brian Goldstein here. And we got our new friend Zach Williams in the house today. Thank you for joining us, bro. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, we're big fans of your father. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear what you're doing in the mental health space these days. Um, Brian told me that you were going to be on the show and I got super excited because, uh, you know, I come from an acting background and, uh, you know, your dad was kind of a guy that could do it all. And I was very fond growing up watching him from like, you know, from the early days on. And then, you know, some of my favorite roles, to be honest, were I, I loved when he was was um, in a dramatic setting, to be honest. I loved all of those stuff. So like Good Will Hunting and these type of things were. Yep some of my uh my my most fond memories but uh welcome uh you want to tell us a little bit uh about yourself i mean sure <laughs> i mean at, at this point i'm i'm very focused on raising a four-year-old and a two-year-old mm -hmm. uh i run two companies uh mental health company nutrition for mental well-being and uh started a media company Awesome. We've got a very exciting project that we're developing around the healing power of the brain, mm. which I'm excited to share more about. That'd be amazing. Yeah. And for me, at this point in my life, aside from parenting, all roads in my life lead to my healing yeah. through mental health advocacy and entrepreneurship focused on mental well-being. That path for me started several years ago, started after my father died by suicide. But really what I discovered is that through a diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder, generalized anxiety disorder and depression, I was spiraling downward. I'm confident I wouldn't be here today if I continued along that path. I required a reconfiguration in terms of how I was looking at the world, how I was looking at myself, where I was at in terms of self-esteem, in terms of isolation, in terms of self-medication and through that experience, I discovered that in order for me to heal, I needed to do a couple things. One is I needed to find ways in which I could be of service to others. And then two, in order to properly be of service to others, I needed to take care of myself. Yeah. And so the, the big aha moment for me is I discovered that service-oriented activity and effort was my personal path to happiness and healing. So that's where I'm at now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, prior to that, I've always loved building products, primarily digital products, software and the like, and supporting awesome entrepreneurs and achieving their visions. Yeah. It's something that's really important to me. It just so happened that that scopes expanded to supporting nonprofits, supporting policy initiatives, supporting other entrepreneurs, and then supporting ultimately customers, potentially um, patients, and yeah. discovering nutrition for mental well being. Yeah, I think patients, because uh, we forget that a lot of times. I'm in the cannabis space and uh, in this new realm, it's we never called them customers. We called them patients in the Prop 215 totally. because we were we were helping um, 
medicate or treat ailments, you know, and that's the way we went about it. Um, calling somebody a customer was a, a negative connotation, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I have some experience helping start companies in the cannabis space, investing in companies, um, started learning about policy initiatives and seeking to support for uh, support certain policies focused on helping grow the industry. And uh, the thing for me is there's all sorts of intersectionality between mental well-being and cannabis usage. For me personally, I discovered I was quite allergic. Mm -hmm. I, I did end up using certain CBD products and I'm really excited about things like rare cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. We talked a bit yeah. about it, but like CBN, incredible for sleep, CBG, um, great for muscle recovery and things like that. Not necessarily directly related to mental well-being, but it, it is adjacent. And, um, you know, the thing that excites me is that there's now this revolution around how patients, um, and potentially, you know, people in the consumer realm see natural solutions mm -hmm. for mental well-being. And I think cannabinoids and, and the body's endocannabinoid system and how they interface with one another are an essential part of that. For me personally, I found nutrition to be extremely helpful, specifically discovering endogenous compounds like amino acids, minerals like zinc and so forth that when taken in ways that they could support our body's deficiencies actually created a neurotransmitter health environment that enabled me specifically to feel more settled, more comfortable in my skin, yeah. not experiencing anxiety in the same way, not experiencing depression the same way. And, and for me, you know, whether they're exogenous compounds like cannabinoids or endogenous compounds like amino acids, ultimately the preference and the orientation around people discovering that these compounds and solutions can be extremely healing, potentially uh, fully supporting around all sorts of considerations and conditions is extremely exciting. Yeah. Um, the thing about big money coming into the industry, just speaking in the cannabis space, is that uh, with it, it's brought ag, big ag techniques. Mm -hmm. it's, it's brought um, you know, genome mapping and things. So the plan is evolving. We're breeding in certain directions and, and things are opening up and we're getting to a space where, you know, we can tailor and, and, and work towards, uh, helping certain ailments and things. So that's awesome. Um, let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about your transition into the mental health space. And, uh, let me just ask, um, is this something that was prevalent in your life prior prior to uh, your dad's passing, or did it just bring that on at that moment? Well, I think things came to a head for me after his passing, but prior to that, there were there were trends that were starting to increase mm -hmm. in terms of frequency and and intensity. Um, for me, drinking was always part of my life through my teens onward and you know drinking to drinking heavily to problem drinking to alcoholism was a progression for me yeah um and what i started realizing it was it became a crutch and a coping mechanism that i became extremely dependent upon to help manage my experience with the world and with yeah. people and um so that was part of it I had anxiety from very early age onwards that contributed to insomnia and all sorts of different things. Um, 
and I had trauma from a very early age, which I wasn't willing to recognize as trauma. 12 years old, uh, my cousin died by suicide. This was in the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. um, he was 13 at the time. Yes. I, I mean, that had a dramatic impact on me, but yeah. I didn't acknowledge that dramatic impact until, until my, you know, until, till, you know, midway through my adult journey. Yeah. And, you know, that was very traumatic for me in hindsight, but I, I had a set of coping mechanisms, which didn't enable me to acknowledge the trauma. And then, you know, graduating through high school and moving to New York City in September of 2001 mm. and experiencing my first week of New York University um, in September of 2001 was was an eye-opening experience. Yeah, the world changed. Yeah, it was an entry point into my adult life. Yeah. Um, and that didn't make the anxiety any better. No, but but again, I wasn't willing to acknowledge the trauma of course. that it caused because for me, it's like I didn't know folks who were in the towers. Yeah. And therefore, for me, for me to have specific feelings around, hey, this is dysregulating. This is this is challenging. This is traumatic. Didn't feel right at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, leading up into the present era, I think as a culture, we need to start acknowledging that world events things that are happening culturally can be traumatic and it's okay to acknowledge the trauma you know especially amongst you know communities of, of men and so forth we 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 can have challenges being vulnerable yeah the thing is for, for me and this required a re reorientation because i always saw that vulnerability as being a form of weakness yeah weakness so right what I've come to learn over time is actually you can develop a deep sense of inner strength and resilience if you're able to come from a place of, of understanding, empathy, and confidence when you share your story. Yeah. And if we can build that inner resilience, then we can find new ways to connect with people, new ways to heal from our personal traumas that we've accrued over our lives. Just acknowledgement of these specific traumas is challenging. And, you know, it, I, I, my heart goes out to people who were directly impacted by, you know, everything that happened on September 11th. Yeah. Who had family members, friends, coworkers, colleagues who were. I'm sure everybody in the city and in the country itself was uh, connected to somebody in some sorts of, of ways. If not just mentally, we all kind of went through it together as well. Um, viewing it, I think it was the first real, I, I think that's the first, that's the switch in the the old world of like us getting the news secondhand into like we kind of all saw that live and lived it firsthand well let's look at let's look at the historical precedent because yeah. i think it's a it's an interesting precedent if you look at times when people say i remember when i was there i was doing x y and z yeah there were moments and for you know kennedy our, assassination for our parents people, generation it kennedy was kennedy assassination they all remember where they were yeah. and what happened when it came on the news pearl harbor yeah, the, the space you know, shuttle, the, the Challenger. Challenger exploding. Yeah. I remember that when my parents' generation as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and now we're, you know, through the pandemic and like, it seems yeah. like there are, there are maybe different types of world events that are occurring, but, you know, I would say maybe we think we're acclimating to this stuff. 
Yeah. But really, at the end of the day, I'm thinking back in the pandemic and everything that went on with with us and our businesses and our loved ones and everything. And like, you know, that was two years ago. (laughs) Yeah, there was a, a bunch of at the highest levels of of everything of finance, government, uh, business administration, however you want to put it, there were some very fear-based things going on and people reacting out of like a very fear-based, not knowing effect. And it was like a snowball of like, this is nothing to worry about. Oh, this is a worry, ah, you know what I mean? And it was like, it kind of happened really fast and nobody, nobody believed that was ever possible of happening or that anything could, but we've seen a domino effect into like, oh, wow, the world just changed again in front of us in real time. Well, the thing that was wild to me, too, is like, I remember having to suit up to go to the grocery store. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the challenge was I was living with, I mean, during the early stages of the pandemic, my mother was living with my wife and my young son. Yeah. And we were like, we weren't quite sure what was going on. Nobody knew. Didn't know if, you know, the grocery stores would stock out yeah right and and toilet paper toilet paper <laughs> yeah, the, the toilet paper thing right but now but now it's funny because like you walk into a grocery store and you have those moments like remember when yeah and it was like it was a number of months ago yeah but but you know what i think our perception of time changed during that it, it fully impacted like it our perception us. of time I, I feel like everybody aged 10 i feel like that was a decade in itself Totally, and it impacts and like our pre-COVID. Is like it seems like a distant memory before then. Totally, and things have totally altered. Right, and you know it impacts our perception of of connecting with other people. 100%. Um, some I, handled it better than others. Yeah, some were very impacted by it, and I don't know that some people will ever fully recover from it. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, like there are also interesting things around kind of how. Um, you know certain innovations in technology like distribution of you know alcohol drugs you know whatever you know cannabis products even things like pharmaceuticals that was totally turned on its head and Mm -hmm. you know it accelerated this process where you can get everything at your doorstep all the time you don't even need to go out and interact or interface they made it where you can just sit on your couch and do everything and And to be honest i think that people found that that was much more that was a much better option for them as well yeah in some way you know yeah and 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 it was interesting to see that that cultural shift but then at the same time you know we need to manage our social activity yes. because if you're going out into the to world have like you know uh social norms of like you know respect factors and knowing how to interact with each other and wait in a line and give personal space and 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 yeah, I, I understand where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. So, so you the know, the more we isolate ourselves, the harder it is for us to interact. In a what about all space. the kids? Like you have young kids. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing: is that I'm one of the candidates who's prone to introversion. Mm-hmm. So if you know, I can have things delivered at my home and the like. You know, it's a wonderful thing for me. Yeah. The challenge is, is that I tend to self-select into like more and more introversion. Mm-hmm. And so the question, so the question is. But how can I actually go out and socialize? How can I go back? How how can I go out and interact with people, and not just it being about, you know, going out and speaking to a room full of people or or something along those lines. And, and this is I'm I'm you know I have friends who I'm very close with. 
I don't see them enough mm -hmm. because, you know, we're talking every day on yeah, WhatsApp and what have you. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, what I'm starting to realize is that I've developed certain orientations and activity that that's very suitable to me as an introvert. Right. But over time, it's created these habits that are preventing me from going out and connecting with people in the way that I feel like maybe I should be doing. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Oh yeah. I think that, uh, this connecting with each other and this, this public shared space is the, you know, it's the fulfilling thing. Like you said, uh, transitioning into mental health and then finding that you needed to help people and to, uh, you know, have a positive impact in that manner. It's like, we do a lot of business podcasts. Obviously the, the, the chase of money and things is, is prevalent in everybody's lives. Yeah. Um, we're bombarded by it on Instagram and these apps now that we can see who's who and what's what and these things. And, and we gravitate towards it because we're humans and we like shiny objects. I'm not, uh, I'm we're not, all no, yeah, <laughs> we're all subject to this, but, uh, I feel like no matter, no matter what I achieve or the next goal or the next thing, and that we, we, we find this common theme that there's an underlying thing where no matter how successful someone gets, they tend to be unhappy with the result of the thing they were chasing. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's a good, it's a good question. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're framing it as a question, but it no, just, like just we, we feel like, we feel like, uh, there's always something more, right? Yeah. And, and helping and, 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 uh, camaraderie and being in a space where, uh, you know, it could just be checking in on someone or, or listening to them for a little while. It, it you know, it, it feels good to help others. Well, let's take a step back for a sec and like, let's look at it from a neuroscientific perspective. Yeah. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I have, you know, taken interest in the space for quite a number of years. And, you know, the way I've understood our reward system to be structured is one in which very successful people tend to have a very specific way of structuring how they seek pleasure, mm -hmm. goal oriented. They achieve certain stage gates and things like that. The challenge is, is that for some people, they end up winning. You win the game and starting a certain business, you have an exit event or something like that. And then it's very hard to restructure that reward system around that next set of achievement, right? Yeah. Um, this can happen for any number of different things. And so, you know, the question is if it, if it's a, if it's a reward system based around accumulation, one of the challenges could be there might not never, there might never be enough if we're structured around a certain way and have talked to friends who are very wealthy, who have experienced that, mm -hmm. you know, in hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, um, if they're not oriented around meaningful activity for them, what ends up occurring is it's like, it's like you're trying to fill a leaky bucket because you keep on chasing that experience that you had at a certain point when you hit a certain threshold, earn that first million, achieve that first success with your company, whatever it may be. And, and it, it, it just gets challenging. And I've experienced it with my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and <laughs> 
you know, one of the ways in which I've, I've have set up my reward system is, you know, looking at big challenges from a socio-medical perspective, you look at the youth mental health epidemic, the youth crisis yeah. around mental health. And it's a massive issue that requires very dynamic innovation, requires enormous resourcing from the public and private sector, communities, states, civic institutions, and so forth. And it's like, for me, it's like, oh, well, if you can set up your reward system around solving this issue, you can spend multiple lives trying to do that, yeah. right? And I was, and I realized that there's a way in which I was structuring kind of, you know, nearly impossible endeavors so that it could keep me busy for a long, long time. <laughs> um, but what I realized from that is that there's actually a lot of meaning derived from making progress with that. Like even when you start activating schools in terms of mental health program, when you start establishing successful policy initiatives in the state, it feels super rewarding. But the thing is, is that the ramp up to, you know, achieving success is absolutely massive. Yeah. So, and, you know, I'm the wondering for the youth is, is a, is a big thing because, you know, we come from a time where obviously we felt, we've all felt persecuted or, or bullied or, or in a, in a certain space or like we couldn't live up to our parents' expectations, but it's greatly intensified now with social media and YouTube and the, you know, the way that they live their life now, which is obviously not going to change. It's not something that I try to hide from my children because it's going to be there and they need to be, uh, uh, aware of it, you know, but, but you know, there's, their lives are public now, not just uh, celebrities' lives, but everybody's life in some manner or, or such, you know? Mm -hmm. And everybody can feel judged or, or uh, like they're not enough for some reason. And, yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's tough, man. I feel bad for the youth because it is a different, a different period. Well, let's, you know, I want to bring up, are you familiar with uh, Behavioral Sync? Mm -mm. It okay. sounds familiar, but... Okay, so... There's a series of experiments done in the, pardon me, there's a series of experiments done in the 20th century with mice mm -hmm. and overcrowding. Yeah. You know, they, they would, they being a, a, a researchers would put mice into a box and, you know, in, in density. And it ended up creating all sorts of dysregulation for these mice. They ended up self-harming, they ended up harming others, they ended up kind of gnawing on one another, you know, certain mice would retreat up into these little, you know, towers that were constructed as part of it. And it just created all this dysregulation, right? And, and technically, if you're talking about overcrowding, that's something we've experienced, you know, physical overcrowding. It's something we've experienced, you know, in, in human culture for thousands of years, right? You know, in certain circumstances. And, you know, yes, there's issues with being pushed up against one another over long periods of time. It, it creates dysregulation for people. It's shown to happen. But I think one of the things that I think is being expressed in this era, in the 21st century, specifically now with mobile phones, the mobile era, call it the information age, post-information age, however you want to frame it now, artificial intelligence age, you know, what have you. But I think we're seeing a certain form of digital overcrowding. And that the way we spend our days 
consuming information, interacting with others and things like that is not, it's not, it's not a very fluid process. It's generally, it's generally pretty choppy. It generally involves us cycling through a series of apps. It generally involves us, you know, whether we're creating, posting or commenting or consuming, it's, it's chasing a dragon of sorts while we're being bombarded with interaction, good, bad, awful, neutral, while we're consuming more information and this like never ending journey. And I don't think it's particularly good for our mental well-being. No, definitely not. And I'm wondering if it's contributing to additional dysregulation for us. That's form of digital overcrowding. The reason why I, I brought the experiment, the experiments relating to the overcrowding of mice is that I don't think it's a physical thing occurring for us. I think it's actually, uh, digital in nature. Yeah. And mental and mental. Well, yeah, we're overstimulated definitely. Um, and the kids are overstimulated from a very, very young age, like, yeah. like, you know, under a year, even they're already, you know, Waiting. reaching out for it, ready to, to be able to swipe and know and scroll. And they watch us doing it too. They're little sponges, you know? Yeah. I have young children as well. So I know I'm, I'm sure you see it. So does Brian. Um, it's definitely something that needs to, to, to be looked at. And I agree with you. I, I think that, uh, even myself, which I feel like I'm pretty strong willed and sound of mind for the most part, uh, I find myself, you know, it's, it's, a. Uh, it can make things irritable. And then I, I feel like there's a digital replacement to real life in some sense where like people are living as alter egos and different things in a digital space that in reality, they, I think it's easy to run. It's easy to run to the life that you've created for yourself in a digital space. If that's maybe not the life that you've created for yeah. yourself in a physical space. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's easier to find your people and be more accepted as to, go out into the real world and, and be in the elements, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's an in insightful way to frame it. Um, the, the thing for me, and, and especially having young children, you know, I have a four year old and a two year old four, a four year old boy and a two year old girl, um, is that when they see us, my wife and I, family members, friends, what, whatnot, on our phones, paying attention to them, being fixated upon it, they're establishing a worldview. And it's, you know, it's very, you know, children have very specific worldviews. Their surroundings are, they're not interacting with social media yet, in most cases, the majority of cases. And, you know, if they're seeing our, our attention fixated upon this little device, this little yeah. box, and, seeing how it's inter interacting with our interactions together and the like, then, then they're going to affix value to that box. Yeah. It's getting the most attention. Yeah. And so the thing is, and you know, one of the concerns for me is that, you know, my generation, I'm 40. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I would say our generation, but it is. Yeah. yeah I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 40. I'll be 42 this year. Okay. Brian's right behind us. Yeah. A couple of years behind you guys. It's all good. You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the consideration is, um, you know, we didn't grow up with our parents on mobile phones. No, no, no. I think the world was more connected when phones were connected. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, you know, I think it's a great way to frame facts, facts, machine era, facts, and then we had pagers, yeah. you know, and we were getting more connected. But I mean, yeah, we were. We getting... remember a time when when people had to physically talk to each other. Yeah, we remember a time when you couldn't get a hold of somebody. Yeah, or you just ride your bike to their the house. The bottom and... of that is is kind of weird in itself because there was a time where somebody left the house and you didn't get to talk to them until you seen them again, unless and, they called you. And here's the thing is you had to be okay with that. You had to be. And so <laughs> your brain goes in a very specific way. Yeah. And so the concern for me is that, um, you know, we don't have to be okay with not getting in touch with folks in this, in the no. mobile phone. And we're not okay with it. And we're not okay with it. You can see that it, yeah. it develops it develops severe anxiety for people that aren't okay with being disconnected. They actually, be my mother-in-law calling my wife and just repeatedly calling her until she picks up the phone. And it's always, we tend that. to think of the worst. Yeah, she can. And, and then vice versa. I mean, you know, people can be like, well, we're assuming that everybody's got their phone in their hand at all times. Yeah. It creates all types of different. And if you take a phone away from someone over a period of time, they'll actually go through Withdrawal. Withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. There's actually neurochemical withdrawal systems. They, they, they start they start getting stressed out. Mm -hmm. And it creates... I feel like everybody needs that detox now, though. Well, yeah, here's the thing. And this, this is what I've started advocating for in the past. At this point, it's been about 18 months. Mm -hmm. The premise of mental hygiene, right? And that we need to start looking at prioritizing mentally healing, mentally supporting activity on a daily basis, because just relying upon, you know, once a week or, you know, whether, you know, I would say therapy, but therapy is now inaccessible for most people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause everybody went cash. They won't take insurance. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not, it's like, saw some recent data that, that high quality therapy is inaccessible for 95% of people. Which is very sad. Which is sad, right? But but so, you know, we can't be prioritizing mental health to either be once a week uh, or when we hit a state of crisis because the crisis care system, first off, is overwhelmed. Secondly, it's not designed to create long-term sustainable mm -hmm. foundational solutions for you. So, you know, there's a cruel and unusual forcing function that requires us as human beings to figure out ways in which we can take matters into our own hands. You know, there's certain terms that have been applied. One is, you know, resilience development. Another is kind of developing inner authority. Um, but really the general premise of it, what is it that we can do in our lives? Nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, meditation, in some cases, therapy, community support, even breath work and so forth. What can we apply? Spiritual practice, sleep, all these different things. For each individual, is, it's going to be know, different. It's going to be different. Yeah. But how can we apply it on a daily basis where we're not feeling overwhelmed and dysregulated multiple times a week? Yeah. Right? Or um, multiple times a day for that matter. Multiple times a day, for sure. Yeah. For sure. For me, and I think the, we all feel that regardless. Yeah. And so, you know. With this company, I've created PIM. Mm -hmm. um, stands for Prepare Your Mind. It's not coincidentally my middle name, PIM, not Prepare Your Mind. Um, my dad gave it, gave me the name. We, my wife Olivia June Williams and I, created this company because 
I needed a nutritional foundation because I was eating really poorly and I was doing unhealthy things to kind of manage those deficiencies, like self-medicating using alcohol. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I stopped drinking alcohol, um, I was so anxious and depressed and just feeling terrible. And, you know, my wife who had a similar journey of that, her sister died by suicide when she was 10 and she had to go through, you know, a decades long experience in terms of finding solutions for herself. She discovered nutrition and she introduced me to nutrition for mental well-being, And I was super skeptical. Yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't think this can be helpful for me. And, and then I went through this process in terms of trying these different products, sorted out my anxiety in two days, my depression in two weeks through two different product stacks. One was focused on the GABA system, gamma amino butyric acid, and the other was focused on the serotonin system. And through those two different product stacks was able to basically find the solutions that enabled me to then start expanding my mind in terms of what I can do for my mental well-being, what mental, what other practices can I apply? And like, were you shocked? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two weeks is like, yeah, I was shocked. been mind blowing that, that, uh, yeah. something that has been dealing with for a long, long period of time could be turned around that fast. Yeah. But, but the thing was, is that it, what, what was really pronounced was the fact that I had these deficiencies in the first place, because <laughs> yeah. it's not everyone is going to experience that type of thing. Uh -huh. The thing is, is that the majority of Americans generally have, um, insufficient diets nutritionally, yeah, of course. And we've got a metabolic issue in the United States. 60% of Americans are pre-diabetic or diabetic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're addicted to sugar. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're eating a ton all of sugar, of food is the delivery system for more sugar. Yeah. And so, right. And processed foods and, you know, uh, certain matter fats, how you cut it, it all breaks down to the same thing. Right. And so if you're, if you're eating, you know, certain types of fats and you're eating, you know, processed sugar in high quantities, right. which I was doing all the time, especially after I stopped drinking alcohol. Yeah, I bet. Right. And so, um, so I found all these crutches and they were making me miserable. And then suddenly I found these nutritional solutions and I was like, okay, I can actually feel okay. But then I was like, okay, how can I now support myself through like, what is modern life? What is a chronically stressful environment? Right. And so, you know, you can't, you, you have to, you have to engage in other activity. You can't just rely upon nutrition you know i'm not particularly fit i would like a better fit you know fitness regimen there were times where i've over exercised to get to the point but then like it just it just fell out of whack for me it's not a natural um i had a period in my life where i worked out heavily yeah but for the most part i never did and i was a uh, uh, you know a thin frame so it you were a tiny guy yeah <laughs> it just worked for me and it wasn't something that i thought about but I do feel better when I am active. Right. So that so that's the component of it. Getting nature and getting some sunlight and it's being a major in nature. One. Yeah. It's like a, I mean, obviously there's tons of studies now, but it makes you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes you feel more connected. There is a nature connectivity part. And, you know, I started, but I started realizing, hey, like looking at my fitness ritual, I actually need to get out at least once a day yeah. in some respect. And mentally too as well mentally it was helpful for yeah. me it's one thing to get the endorphins running i think that's helpful for a lot of people uh -huh. but like i needed to get out and spend 25 minutes half an hour yeah. just just engaging and moving my muscles but like 
expanding beyond that in terms of mindfulness and meditation and all the different things, what I started to discover was... Um, There's a program that needs to happen. I needed to get on my own program. Yeah. And, and then I started realizing other people can benefit by getting on their own, pro their program, own program, right? And so we created this brand, PIM, to educate people around just catalyzing that process, learning about what they can do for themselves. If they take our products, it can be helpful for them, but there's likely a bunch of other things that are helpful for them. Does it start with a, a questionnaire or some sort of uh, stock to get somebody headed in the right direction based off of their own yeah. uh, physiological traits? Yeah, so in part we, we develop, so yes, that's part of it. Yeah. Um, we developed uh, you know surveys and so forth that that would in turn recommend products, but where we wanted to go and what we're actually what we developed was an entire coaching framework mm -hmm. to uh, to educate people around what they can do for their own personal mental hygiene. The thing was, it was just biting off a lot for a company. And, yeah, you know. So what we did is we ended up taking the elements of those coaching frameworks and just turning it into content, which we share for free. Mm -hmm. But um, it's 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 a lot. It's a new space. Yeah. Um, everybody has their own opinions about it. Like mm -hmm. you said, even the nutrition side of it, coming from your wife, who said it helped her, you were still on the fence about and yeah. basically said, I don't think this is going to work for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're looking yeah. at all the different elements of it, um, there's some really interesting research coming out of like the Stanford Metabolic Psychiatry Center. There's a woman there named Dr. Shabani Sethi who is focusing on the interaction of you know, ketogenic diets, mm -hmm. which we hear about a lot in certain contexts, definitely here in LA. Yeah. Ketogenic diets and the the relationship with serious mental illness. Yeah. And it's shown that there's actual clinical efficacy in engaging in certain long term nutritional protocols to support, you know, long term mental uh mental health dysregulation that manifests with serious mental illness and the like. And, you know, there's other work done out of uh places like McLean Hospital of Harvard Medical School. There's Dr. Uma Nadu, who started the Nutritional Psychiatry Center. There's Dr. Chris Palmer, who recently wrote a book called Brain Energy. And, you know, there's there's certain research institutions that are focusing on nutrition and lifestyle and all sorts of interesting um, research that's being done around all these different elements. But that's only a subset of one, you know, of it, it, it the research and, and understanding the efficacy of these different things is, is, is important, but then we need the cultural component. Yeah. Right. There's a media component. There's, you know, our, our being inundated with, you know, information, good, bad, and ugly, us seeing all sorts of folks promoting different products and, we're you know, bombarded by it. We're bombarded through. You know, and obviously, I think we all seen the the social experiment and seen that, you know, the algorithm is feeding what it wants to feed, which is clickbait, right? Yeah, and it's you know, made to intensify and accelerate your attention to it. So, and look, we're, we're complicit too. You know, yeah. we have to reach a, a customer or patient. You know, depending on the framing and the and the context, um, we have to reach those folks. Yeah, and we need to reach them in a way in which they're engaged. You know, relative to the hundred other places they can be placing their finger mm -hmm. on that little box that, yeah. you know, that little touch screen that that ultimately we, we are beholden to for, you know, commerce and so forth. And so 
you know, I, I think the main thing for me is we're going to constantly work out new ways to engage folks around helping them understand more about themselves. Yeah. You know, whether it's my brand, but also through advocacy, through education, through, you know, our conversation now, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping communities of men can start saying, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to stop suffering in the way that I'm suffering and need to find ways in which I can find a foundational approach to take care of my mental well-being. Yeah. Whether it involves connecting with people, whether it involves finding opportunities to, to share comfortably, whether it involves finding those mental hygiene rituals for them, like that's important for me. I think peers, potentially folks who others look up to play an essential role of that, whether they're athletes, entertainers, but also community peers, that's essential. Yeah, it's hard as a man. We had a, a friend on the show, Jimmy Rex, and uh, he has a, a a men's group that uh, meets, and it's all f focused around men's mental health and and being, and being okay in a shared space. And uh, he opens vulnerable. it up, being vulnerable and learning how to be vulnerable with each other and knowing that there's support there because it is something that uh, I mean. We can go to like straight statistics and see that the the rates are the rates of of, of suicide and depression in the male space are, are higher, obviously. And I, I know that we don't deal with it in the same way. We're not as open about our feelings as women are. Yeah. We well, tend not to be. Well, you know, but I think there's another element, too, in that the way in which things like resentment mm -hmm. manifest in different ways. Yeah. We tend to be more aggressive, you know, both in terms of how we interact with people, but also in terms of, you know, more physically oriented. Yeah. Um, resentment is, and that that's a big topic in the recovery community. Just to be clear, yeah. But a lot but, of stuff stems from our own, yeah, resentment towards ourselves or others, ourselves, our family members, yeah. our peers, our employer, you know, what have you. And if 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 we are, I think I think one of the key unlocks, at least for me personally, was learning how to manage those feelings of resentment and orient around actually finding peace with things not being exactly how we want them to be yeah. and focusing on the things that we can actually impact and affect change around. And knowing that it's like, there are folks, I never thought that, that there were people who I would qualify as being, you know, like enemies or, or, uh, you know, principal points of conflict in my life. And, and so until I started, you know, aging as an adult, I realized, you know, there are people out there who might not wish you or me well and, and might be an antagonizing you through this process. You know what you can do through that process? And the thing I started realizing, a lot of those actions, a lot of those things come from a place of resentment, frustration, self-worth issues, things like that. You know what you can do? You can be happy for them and wish them happiness along their journey, and then they no longer have power over you. Exactly. It's up to us how we how we take that. Exactly. You know, we, we get to choose. I try to talk to my mother about that sometimes, and the she tends to be very victim based, and the life happens to her, not 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 for her type of deal, you know, and. Uh, you know, choosing to feel a certain way about an occurrence in your life. Um, you obviously had these similar situations um, in your family. So it's it's our choice to to feel. I, I think like you take the, the kids of an alcoholic and you have the one that says, 
you know, of course I'm an alcoholic, look who, look who I was raised by. And then you have the successful other sibling that says, well, of course I'm not like that, look who I was raised by, right? So it's, it's our choice of who and how we perceive these things and how we choose to act yeah. in return of our own experiences, right? Yeah, the, the thing is, is if, if, you, if you give yourself the opportunity to let go of... It's so, it's so the, relieving. Yeah, the, if you give yourself the opportunity to let go of the resentment and frustration and so forth, and then can just wish people well along their journey. Yeah. The great thing is you don't need to sit down with them and break bread with them. No, you no don't. That's, just wish them well and move on. Yeah, because the thing, the thing for me is what I, what I, the way in which I started thinking about things is like, okay, I can wish, even though they don't actively wish me well, they might even wish me harm or something in certain circumstances. Not like physically, they won't come to physically no, I can't. You know, you, one has to defend themselves, yes. you know, but, or family. Um, but if you're in a situation where you're not physically threatened, um, the thing you can do is you can, and this is where I kind of had the, the thinking a little bit skewed towards one way in which I thought, oh, I can wish some happiness and therefore I have to sit down and we have to have a restorative conversation, you know, in which we kind of you know, find the conflict points, work through it and everything. You don't need to do that. No. You don't need to do that. What you can do is say, hey, I can wish them well on their journey, can wish them happiness in their life and move the fuck on. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, the, the, that the, weight is gone. That weight's gone. And you can say, I don't need to break bread with you. I don't need to engage in constructive conversation with you because it's not needed for myself, for my healing journey. And I wish you well upon your journey. Yeah. You I, know, I feel like unfortunately in all types of different relationships that come to a head that sometimes letting go, wishing somebody well, accepting the fact that this is no longer somebody that needs to be in my life for whatever reason and just going our separate ways is, is the most healthy approach to that. Yeah. Because sometimes there's, there's things that have been said or things that have arisen that, that just are, there's no going back from, and it doesn't mean yeah. that we need to continue on this journey together. It's, it's not, it's not so uh, complete. We yeah. need to be okay with turning a new page. Yeah. There, there are elements, you know, and again, I'll refer to the recovery community Yeah. because I'm, I'm in recovery. I have been for several years. Um, there are situations where amends need to be applied and things 100%. like that and yes. you know th that's needs to be understood yeah you i know? understand the steps yeah but but you know there are circumstances where first off there are living amends that can be applied in terms of you can be comfortable not having to engage in an amends process because of the nature or dynamic of a relationship but expanding beyond that the main thing is is there are those everyday resentments and the like that don't require a deeply engaged process. Not everyone's in recovery, yeah. right? That's a very specific yeah. you know, solution set based upon people's personal paths to healing. The thing is, for all of us, we can be comfortable. I, you know, if we can actually free ourselves and find relief in letting go of those resentments, I think there's a lot of folks out there who, who can find new license to be a little bit more happier. Yeah, it's tough. It, and, and it's uh, this resentment that we hold on to 
even when we're not speaking to somebody or that we just hold on a certain situation or a time in our life. I mean, this travels with us forever indefinitely. If we let it, you know, we, we take that, we might transgress into other lives with it. We don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm thinking that trends have probably shown that that, that might be the case. Um, it's hard to fight with ghosts in your head. You know what I mean? Of situations that are hypothetical a lot of times and don't really happen. I know we've all been there where we felt like somebody did us wrong or that we were angry about a certain thing and we carried that with us and 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 flipped it around every which way we could in our mind and then come to find out that that wasn't the case at all maybe. And, mm -hmm. and maybe that we were just, uh, you know, I, I think that it's hard from the the you know, we're all having our own, our own experience in these multitudes of shared experiences. So it's easy to think that everything is directed at us or towards us. Yeah. A lot of times, none of it has anything to do with us. And people generally aren't thinking about me, you, or anybody else. Yeah, they're usually dealing with the same thing in their yeah. own head about yeah. something else or trying to get through their day. Yeah. I mean, that's another component of it. it yeah. It, it's, it's, it, you know, don't, a lot of this stuff shouldn't be taken personally because it, this was done, this specific action was done in a self-serving way. Yeah. And it wasn't about you, me, or anybody else in the situation. It was about the principal agent doing something. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you some. Sure. Um, going back to your father mm -hmm. and the situation, uh, this is a man that obviously reached the, the height of a career path that's possible, you know? Uh, well and be loved by the world. Um, is this something that is that there was warning signs to? Is it something that just you weren't aware of? Um, obviously, we're all living our own lives as well. Is it a? It, was it? Did it come as a? I mean, obviously, there's shock around that type of thing anyway. But is it? Is that something? Did he deal with that you were aware of growing up? that you saw firsthand yeah so we so we were very close yeah and there were ebbs and flows of frustration depression isolation potentially I mean, artists tend to to be very um being on stage is a very uh, a very big rush you know what i mean well you know let's let's look at the life of a comedian yeah you know it, it's a very it tends to be pretty dark you know what's well, a very challenging lifestyle uh -huh. you know and, and there's there's advantages to it there's disadvantages to it just like anything yeah. you know but but when you're a comedian you're going out and you're you're bearing your soul yeah with the explicit intention of being laughed at you know and your perception of reality and, and your like... perception of reality and so you know when you create a career out of that and it's an age-old career. It's not, you no. know, this has been around for millennia. Yeah. When you create a career around that, and you're, you, first off, your starting point is orient around a certain way, seeking validation, seeking ways in which you can feel good about yourself, good about, you know, and I'm, I'm not just speaking my father's case, I'm talking about yeah, kind of generally, the, the comedic yeah. fashion. Um, it can create all sorts of issues relating to feeling comfortable with oneself, feeling comfortable, you know, bearing the weight of becoming an, you know, a public figure. Um, there's failure associated with it. I mean, constant failure, constant failure. 
constant. And it's a rough, like, like the yeah. travel circuit of stand-up is it's incredibly tough. It's brutal. It, and it, and it, it has its way with most. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And so, you know, I would say, you know, in experiencing what, or, or in listening to my father in terms of his experience, it, it was, it was really challenging at times. Yeah. Um, Coinciding with that is also some of the most incredible times and 100%. periods of the highs bliss and happiness yeah. and so forth. And so, you know, this is like anybody's journey. I, I for me personally, what what was catalyzed and kind of learning about him and his journey and 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 understanding our relationship and friendship and you know relationship as a son. And, you know, with him as a father and me as a son was that you know for me i'm not continuing what he sought out to do which was very much relating to helping people laugh and helping people learn i'm i'm seeking to be happy through service yeah and so it's a different configuration but the general you know the general yeah, premise the is we're seeking to take you know pardon me i'm seeking to take care of myself through understanding what my healing process looks like while seeking to support and maximize my positive impact with others. Have you made peace with that decision for him? Um, like, I, I, have you, it's, it's been a while, but it's, it's multiple levels of digesting that. Yeah, know? yeah, it, sure. It's, um, I'd say, I'd say, parent. I'd say personally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'd say, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a more complex way of answering that in, yeah. in terms of, you know, we're all along a, a, our own personal journeys. Yeah. And for me, as it relates to, you know, my perspective on it, I, I see, you know, I'm a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. I see it, you know, I, I, I believe in in a number of different elements relating to you know our journeys in this world and beyond and um you know there there is a sense of peace in this in the sense that whatever was catalyzing me throughout you know my experience my relationship and so forth has led me down a path of continuing to honor him, his legacy, without necessarily doing it in his way. I want to do things my own way, and they relate to my healing process. So it's a continual process of discovering more peace and serenity. Yeah. So I wouldn't say no. There's not like the more complex way of answering it is it's a process. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that, that there is some, uh, you know, it's it's a lot to digest so i'm glad that that uh just to be to make peace i think that he would want you to have peace in his journey and and then going forward it, it to be you know so we we all have our singular journeys our, our our way you know yeah um let's talk about uh pim and and uh what's what's uh ahead of the company and and what you guys uh you know what's next i mean Really, what we've identified is, is something that we can help people with, specifically young people with, is attention. Mm -hmm. 
we're launching an attention product uh, that's a natural nutritional solution for attention. Yeah. It's going to be called the attention chew. Yeah. And really the underlying foundation of that product is it's all amino acids. Uh, pardon me. It's primarily amino acids. There's some minerals and we have one adaptogen in it. Um, but you know, through our journey in launching in 2020, and our first product was called the Original Mood Chew, it's for stress and feelings of overwhelm and so forth. And um, we started attracting scientists, psychologists, medical researchers who are interested in nutritional solutions, natural solutions for mental well being. And we started realizing, oh, wow, there's all these deficiencies that people are experiencing that are contributing to dysregulation or things like distraction and so forth. And we're like, what can we do to create a product to help people with attention? And it took several months to do, but next month we're launching a product to uh, support um, this issue that so many kids are having. And so it's meant for high schoolers, college students. It's nutritional in nature. I'm excited for that product. We're launching a AM and PM powder. Awesome. One's for the evening. It's magnesium based with some others, um, actives in it. The other is for the morning and really what it is, it's meant to be kind of in the morning, the hydration, you can mix it with water, you can mix it with smoothie, could maybe mix it with coffee, although I wouldn't recommend it. Um, that's meant to be kind of all you might need for, you know, your body's neurotransmitter health. Uh, and to some respect of body's brain health, there are omegas that aren't in it. You kind of need to take omegas in a pill or, you know, eat enough omegas in yeah. your diet to, to help balance it out. We sell omegas at our company, but aside from that, it's kind of like the full stack solution for, um, you Making know, foundational care. Firing, right? Yeah. So, so we're launching a AM product, a PM product, and then our attention products next and that'll keep us busy for a while yeah <laughs> we've all tm product does it is it does it help sleep or does it help yeah. uh, regulate uh you know turning off so to speak yeah so these days so we've become kind of obsessed with this compound called magnesium three and eight mm -hmm. it's it's a more bioavailable magnesium it was formulated out of mit yeah we're, we're, most of us are are deficient too if i'm not we are yeah right i, I believe it uh, i don't know the exact number but i know it's the majority of Americans yeah. are are deficient, and not every magnesium is equal. Mm -hmm. No, I know that. Yeah, from the plant world, it's yeah, not. There's kind of crappy magnesiums. Mm -hmm. um, well, pardon we me. Assimilate Quite them. literally, crappy magnesiums that help us help us shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but you know, there are other types of magnesiums that contribute to you know stress support, help sleep, and the like. And and you know, we've we've found. There's a specific flavonoid too. That's not not magnesium. I mean, magnesium is not a flavonoid. It's a mineral. But um, there's a flavonoid called apigenin that's helpful for sleep. Um, there's things like tart cherry, which are great for helping facilitate melatonin development without just mainlining melatonin yeah. into your system, which can actually dysregulate a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so there's different ways that is to get us to function properly. Yeah, naturally. Yeah, I mean, here's to the best of our ability. Look, uh, it, it, through our, through our journey in creating the company and learning more about our diets, especially the relationship between our diets and our mental well-being. Um, 
we're just not eating the right things and they're actually hard to find in yeah. high concentrations. I'll give you an example. Um, fermented foods, really good for the GABA system and also really good for the microbiota. So the microbiota plays a key role in, in uh, supporting the development of serotonin. Um, kimchi, sauerkraut, certain yogurts and the like are, are really great for facilitating both uh, GABA, you know, uh, uh, supporting the GABA system through, through giving you GABA and through supporting the gut biome, which are really important for the gut-brain connection and serotonin synthesis. We don't eat a ton of fermented foods. No, no. You know, if, if you come from certain cultures, yeah. you know, Asian cultures yeah. tend to have things more, more things like pickles. Um, you know, just eating a pickle, a Claussen's pickle, yeah. doesn't have kind of the robust yeah. um, you know that old school probiotic pickle. environment. Yeah. Uh, fermented yeah yeah over time yeah and and so we're just you know that's one example there's some you know there's a vegetable and greens example but there's also things that are actually contributing to um creating us more uh, contributing to enabling us to be more deficient yeah um high sugar diets they lead to increased cortisol spikes um glycemic spikes impact organ health end up you know creating issues with your body's metabolism which can lead to things like anxiety and and depression and so forth and so you know it's what we eat and it's also what we don't eat and the main thing is is like i don't eat particularly well i just eat more mindfully than i did and i still have things like affinity for sugar yeah right um but there's certain things that, that I kind of draw a line with. I, I don't eat processed foods mm -hmm. um, if I can help it. Yeah, I've, I've been better about that as well. We're kind of being mindful of uh, of fresh, raw, real food and trying to, you know, do yeah. it that way in those yeah. habits. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like there's little tweaks that you can make throughout the day that actually make a major impact. And you can actually, you can actually track for yourself if you're eating fast food and the like. And I eat fast food. You know, I'm not, I don't have, you know, I'll eat McDonald's. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. yeah you know, um, I don't eat McDonald's. You don't eat McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, Some I do like sometimes that. when I have it, when I have to. Yeah. Right, right. It's important to understand, notice how you feel afterwards. Yeah. Like shit. That's why I stopped eating. It. Well, it's a challenge with it, right? Is that, you know, there, there's a trade off <laughs> to eating fast food, you know? And so, you know, when it comes to eating all this stuff, I encourage listeners to start being mindful of how they're feeling afterwards. Yeah. Because you'll start noticing. And so the main thing is, it's like, hey, if you're going to eat, you know, this, you know, a Big Mac or you're going to eat, um, you know, ice cream or something, just note how you feel afterwards. Yeah. And and not the, not the initial the the delivery because the delivery is great. It, yeah, we're addicted. Give it fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah, but but how you feel down the road in the next hours? It's usually a telltale of, yeah, I shouldn't have done that last night. You yeah, know what I mean, because I can go to Trader Joe's and stock up on all my favorite snacks and then wake up the next morning and be like, Yo, Here, that was a bad choice. Here's the thing: is that I, you know, I'm I'm kind of like I'm not a hardliner around a Me lot neither. of this stuff. I don't like to hardline anything because I feel like that in itself becomes a problem. Yeah, too. yeah. And, and I have friends who are hardliners who are, you know, 
care deeply around their yeah. nutrition and things like that and and you know they're in better shape than me yeah. but but the fact <laughs> of the matter is is that when it comes to consuming all this stuff the main thing is is that like you can eat fast food like no one's it's all about moderation it's all about moderation it's about right? being aware of it like you said being aware of how you feel and yeah. it's also about no, if you eat fast food every day, three times a day, you're going to have a certain life path. Well, you're going to have a, what's going to happen is you're going to have a metabolic issue. Yes. And you're gonna that's going to metabolic gonna, and mental. Yeah. Mental issue. Well, yes. but, but it turns out now they're interrelated with one another. Yeah. Right? Like I have an uncle that's staying with my mom right now and he's got early stage dementia. And when he's staying at his daughter's house, she's eating McDonald's, all the crap. And then he comes to my mom's house for a couple of days. And you can see the huge transitional shift just in that short amount of time. You see the cognition improve. Yeah. And so, so there is now research around food as medicine that, you know, for all sorts of conditions, right? So whether it involves heart disease, um, there's some interesting research that's going on now at, at different academic institutions around how neurodegenerative, pardon me, neurodegenerative diseases, even early onset can be, you know, um, slowed down. Yeah. Um, there's still more research that needs to be done to determine whether they can be reversed. But, um, you know, I cited how you can support mental health considerations with it. Um, so, you know, it's very clear the relationship between food and our general health. The main thing is, is like, how do we how do we support behavior change? Yeah, we're going to break these habits that we've been yeah. accustomed to. And, you know, if you're asking someone, the challenge is, is this whole diet culture thing where it's like, hey, do this extreme thing. Yeah. Where, you know, it's like, whatever, fucking, like, coffee enemas, you know, like, just some, some you know, something. I, it could be anything. There's a million of them. Replace yeah. it. It's a Mad Lib, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, something and something else. And, and you, you know, we need to figure out ways in which we can integrate it within our life where it's not just some sort of extreme diet for a period of time. It's got to be a lifestyle change. Yeah. And, you know, that's the challenge with things like the ketogenic diet, right? It's like there's now research showing if you adhere to it for four to five months, that it has a statistically significant effect if you experience certain types of serious mental illness. And that's clinically proven. Yeah. So like there is, but, but to implement that diet for you in certain yeah. instances, but it is meant to only be right. You, you know, know, in specific instances. So the yeah. question is, how can you, how can one implement, you know, little changes in their life that don't degrade what they what they would perceive as the quality of their life like yeah. you don't want people feeling like they're being deprived of stuff no we should be rewarding people for doing the right thing right and, and it's the, the opposite is kind of the 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 yeah the common you know functionality and 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 things yeah because the thing is you can eat most things you like you know at a reasonable clip but if we're if we're just if if we're getting these overages in things that are reasonably deficient and or not reasonably totally, totally deficient, deficient yeah you know aside from you know s simple sugars certain processed carbohydrates and unhealthy fats we're not gonna have a good time in general no right and so you know we could go on and on about it we gotta yeah we gotta and like you know, we have children, we're building a future for them. And in them, we get to change, you know, societal and uh, generational norms as well. So the beauty of science 
coming to a head and and you know i feel like a merging of tech science and spirituality and all of these things kind of coming together yeah and hopefully our children will come out better for it through this like tumultuous time in our existence yeah it's a very exciting but very uh scary time because things are changing at such a rapid yeah rapid pace well that's where the mental hygiene component comes in is yeah like, take care of yourself every day so you can yeah. show up for and these are habits that we can instill in them that will and you know they'll continue to have a different life path than we had because we came from a time that this wasn't something that you talked about i mean yeah. mental health was not something that you talked about you talked to a shrink or to your therapist or or you were looked at like you were crazy or a court-ordered social worker, worker or something, or something like yes yeah. but that was the only time you weren't yeah. allowed to speak of that not even to your parents in most in yeah. most instances it wasn't something you know I, I know people that, you know, have never gotten a hug from their father or like never had any type of, uh, of, uh, oh, there, yeah. <laughs> we've had this conversation yeah. before, right? No instance of emotional or physical, emotional su support, you know? No, I got every gift I ever wanted, but that wasn't what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. And dealing with that, you know, I still deal with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's go light real quick while we wrap up. We just had a couple of, uh, a couple of uh cool questions for you actually yeah let's dive in um okay what was it like what was it like growing up with robin williams as your father well so our specific relationship focused on i mean at least in terms of our leisure time focused yeah. very much on things like video games comic books and exploration of science fiction like mm -hmm. we love watching star trek together um, start probably Star Trek the next generation yeah um, and so you know for us that's that was our that's how we bonded and spent time together so y you know he was he was more quiet and reserved around me um, but we would play video games watch sci-fi movies and hang out in that in that sense so like it was awesome yeah well, it sounds sounds pretty cool uh, i like that um i'm a big sci-fi guy too it's fun um do you have a favorite film of his or a piece of work that good, uh, yeah good morning vietnam good morning vietnam great one mm -hmm. yeah i love that film as well um and then uh how did his career um influence your decision on your path career-wise was there <laughs> Did there ever be a time that you wanted to step into acting or that was, I mean, you went to NYU, obviously. I, well, I, you know, I did, for a period, I did take acting classes yeah. at the Lee Strasberg Institute. Um, yeah, nice, I, great place. I like building things yeah. and I like business. Mm -hmm. So I found myself more attuned to kind of being behind the camera or, or not even close to a camera. Yeah. Um, so, what he, what you know, what my father wanted for me is to be happy, yeah, doing what I do, and so I, I'd say it was kind of like more of a, you know, I wasn't pushed to be a doctor or lawyer or, um, you know, work in any profession, which you know has some advantages, but also you know for me it had some disadvantages too because yeah. I like I needed to kind of craft my own path, and it really started coming into into view over the past, I'd say, you know, 10 years, but, but it took a little bit of time. Yeah, no, it does. It, it's, it's tough. Sometimes 
having a clear cut path can be easy for a human. And then other times, you know, having an open slate, it's, it's hard to, to, to find our passion and our, and our fit. You know, mm -hmm. I, I try to tell my kids the same. I just want them to be happy first and two to find something that they're excited to get about, get up and get to every day. You know, it's, yeah. it's definitely, that's my goal for them is yeah. to, to be happy first and then to find, find their path as well. Yeah. Um, we should get our, our sons together. I have a four-year-old son as well. Yeah, let me cool. know. Let yeah, me know yeah. if you're around. Yeah. We'll I mean, we live near one another. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh, that would be cool. Always need some some good buddies, you know. Um, anything else you want to share about the company before we wrap up? Um, or anything else in your life at the at the time being? I mean, the, at the end of the day, I, the more we can learn around how, how we can use things like nutrition to support our mental well-being, there's a lot of really simple things we can do to um to help ourselves that's pretty straightforward it might involve our company prod products but in a lot of situations there's just lifestyle changes and it could have a sea change in how people feel at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day yeah and so you know i encourage whether it's you know visit our website pim.com but also just look up ways in which you can support things like uh, serotonin, GABA, our catecholamine system, so dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine system, you know, that make up that system and so forth. A lot of us are experiencing burnout and there's ways in which we can support things like our adrenal glands to manage that burnout. We don't have to feel the way we feel. Um, we can, we can change how we feel. I know that sounds like a very, you know, that's all that needs simple to be said, framing but that's it yeah yeah that's it, what we want it's actually pretty straightforward yeah. and and then looking beyond that it, it's there's all sorts of other things beyond nutrition but i just encourage everyone to discover the mental hygiene solutions that work best for them yeah and then uh you you talked about doing a lot of free content um on social and stuff for the company where where can people find that at oh yeah instagram twitter we're working on TikTok okay. a little bit more what's um, the handle uh, it's you can pim, you can pim at you can pim. I'll put it we'll down put below. It down below, so they'll be able to read it. Yeah, awesome. Well, um, you got any other questions that, before we wrap up? No, I think we covered a lot of amazing topics. Yeah, um, there'll be more scientifical, uh, scientifical. I don't want to say <laughs> you got yeah, that. you had me at scientifical. Yeah, exactly. There, there's there's more. Um, more things on the site and where people can yeah. figure out how these amino acids break down and why they do what they do and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. There's we we write a lot about it. And and, and the thing is too is there's also things like adaptogens, uh, you know, mushrooms are big on people's yeah. mind relative to you know, improving cognition and so forth. And I you know, I just encourage people to start learning more about natural solutions. Uh -huh. Um of course we we're very focused on things like amino acids, but but there's a broader spectrum of things that can help folks. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, thanks for joining us. Um, there is help out there. Please, uh, you know, go to PIM and uh, see what they can do to help and what information they can share to help you along the path of, of, of feeling better at the start and the end of the day. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, I know we are all bombarded by technology and thoughts and an oh, overload yeah. of information and, and bad diets. So I think that there's there's help out there. And for all the men watching, um, 
you know, it's okay to open up and to be vulnerable sometimes and to share what's going on inside. I think that we need to say that. Well, just also don't let resentment control your decisions. There you go. It's a great opportunity to, to re relieve yourself of caring what other people think. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I, I struggle with myself and uh, I think that, uh, you know, we all carry a little bit of re resentment or guilt and things with us and, and sometimes just letting it go can be the the weight lifted that we need to, to be okay, you know? Yep. Thank you, Zach. Thank you. Thanks. Like, Pleasure. subscribe, share. Peace. <laughs>